Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall with MarketScale, and we're so glad you found us today. Our guest today is Mike Tang. He is the co-founder and CEO of Swing Education. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, JW. Excellent. And before we dive into the topic at hand and some questions, Mike, if you could give our audience a little bit of background on yourself and on Swing Education. Sure. Um, I started my career in software engineering and then ended up um, doing that for about six years. And I really enjoyed that, uh, but ended up kind of um, hearing a This American Life radio episode about the Harlem Children's Zone and getting very inspired and wanting to move my career into education reform. So I became the head of instructional technology at a charter school called Rocket Ship Education. And I was there for five um, pretty incredible years. It was a lot of fun working there. I loved the people, loved the mission. Um, and one of the things they ended up asking me to help with internally was logistics and coordination of substitute teachers. And that's really where I started kind of bringing on a couple of high school friends to help me with this nonprofit project. And then having them really convince me that this was actually a, a business opportunity um, as well as an impact one. And so we ended up co-founding Swing Education in summer 2015 to really help schools and districts across the whole country with figuring out how to deal with substitute teachers and how to manage that for themselves. I love it. And before we get into 2020 and all that has happened, uh, tell us about the evolution of Swing Education from 2015 to 2020. I would imagine that there were a lot of uh, changes as technology evolved and uh, wider acceptance by schools and school districts. How did that uh, evolution look? Yeah, I mean, I think we entered kind of this um, market when a lot of school districts were ready to kind of think more about how to integrate technology. Um, it's a totally different kind of area of the school and district, but it was at a point when a lot of schools and districts were adopting, say, Chromebooks and this notion of like one to one technology. And so I think that that idea really was bleeding into all aspects of a district's operations. And so in 2015, we started the company. We initially sort of thought of it just as helping with logistics and coordination. So notification and text and mobile notifications to substitute teachers from the school districts. And really what we, when we started to dig into it and talk to school districts, when we talked to the assistant soup of HR or um, a person at the district that was in charge of the sub desk, so to speak, the primary challenge that they were actually facing was around just finding enough substitute teachers. And so we ended up recruiting our own substitute teacher workforce and providing that out to schools through this technology platform. And I think it was really sort of the best of both worlds. Um, and so we've grown to be working with over 2,500 schools across seven states. Um, and you know, as recently as earlier this year, we were working with um, four or 5,000 substitute teachers on our platform. Wow. And so uh, would it be fair to make some comparisons to some of the other disruptive technologies um, like a Uber or Airbnb that you're really helping these uh, substitutes connect with work? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that probably um, when the Uber comparison typically comes up, I would just say 
you know, I think we very much think of ourselves as a company benefiting when substitute teachers benefit the most. So if their pay rates are higher, um, so is our revenue. And so in that sense, I think we're a little bit more aligned with them. Um, we've also recently made the switch in California to have them BW2 employees of ours so that we can also provide them with more support, something that I would say we've kind of been longing to do for a few years now too. Um, but we're really excited about those changes too uh, for this, this, the rest of this school year and, and next school year. All right. And speaking of next school year, before we get to that, let's talk about 2020 and um, maybe just start at a macro level. What is on school districts' minds as they've navigated through uh, the pandemic here in 2020? Yeah, it has obviously evolved quite a bit since March. I think um, we are, as a company based in the Bay Area in California, and I would say we were as a county um, or region one of the early epicenters of the pandemic and so also kind of shut down as a region early on um, we saw other states that we were operating in kind of continue to be open as schools uh, throughout the last school year and so we just saw a lot of different reactions to the pandemic over time now i would say we're reaching a bit more of an equilibrium where yes certain areas are open or in person for in-person learning in schools. Others like the Bay Area are still probably primarily distance learning or remote learning. That said, I think everyone's attention is on how can we get schools open and in person and feel safe, both for students and for teachers. Um, and I think there's what we're seeing also in talking to districts and heads of HR and districts is really how can they think about how to take care of their teachers. Um, I think we've all probably read the stories about how difficult this year is for teachers. Um, and that's not to say that all of our jobs, I think are probably quite a bit more difficult for both personal and remote, remote work reasons. Um, but I think teachers in particular have, are having a pretty tough time understandably. Absolutely. I say it many times on my podcast that any district administrators, any teachers, uh, thank you for your service. You're right up there with first line, uh, frontline uh, responders and workers. Um, it's just been an amazingly difficult year all around, and, and we thank you for that. Um how has the substitute teaching changed as far as are you connecting substitutes that are not necessarily in the uh, direct area because being 100% remote, you you could be substituting from uh, other areas? Is that something that you're seeing more of in 2020? Yeah, it is. And so that, that's been one really interesting kind of new development is we have distance learning substitute teachers. And what's interesting is as we sort of built out those features in our in our platform to be able to request a distance learning substitute teacher, we even realized that some school districts wanted that substitute teacher in a classroom. So they were actually on site, but the students were remote. Um, and so we ended up, as an example, needing to say, okay, for this request, you need to you substitute teacher need to be either home or at the school site and your students will be home or at the school site, um, needing to tell people what that district environment looks like, linking to the district's kind of COVID policies. Um, 
And so it's been really fascinating. We have seen a, a big uptick in distance learning requests where that was just something we didn't really do previously. Um, and now I think we're also seeing that districts have largely also incorporated some amount of in-person learning. Um, in some regions of the country, that's kind of like full in-person learning or like hybrid where there's A-B schedules where kids are maybe uh, at the school site about 40% of the, the week. And in other places, it's actually just in-person for um, the highest need groups. Um, and so, and that's fine too. And we're helping trying to figure out how they can provide short-term staffing for those. Um, there's also been a big need from the district standpoint of long-term substitute teachers because actually there has been higher turnover and it's been harder to kind of replace the, the turnover that they do have. So we've seen that demand as well. And then I would imagine you've also seen an increase in the substitute teacher pool for those teachers maybe that weren't comfortable going back on site, but this may provide an opportunity to still teach in a substitute or a long-term substitute role. Um through your uh, through your company, yeah, um, and we've seen that in a couple of different ways through through kind of spring and summer. Um, we also sort of worked to help fill um, a lot of families' pod teacher needs, um, and that kind of also overlaps with this in-person learning in small groups um, for the highest need students that's happening at districts as well. And so, in that sense, where you know, we're trying to help substitute teachers that both only feel comfortable in a distance learning environment, um, but also some teachers really want to teach in person, but only if it's going to be a smaller cohort um, and only if they're kind of ensured that it can be rough, relatively socially distanced. Absolutely. So, yeah, I imagine the number of fields in the uh... Uh, the matching process, uh, as you said, has has grown quite a bit. Are you also seeing even more um, specialties? You know, uh, instead of just uh, science, uh, high school science teacher need for a substitute, kind of taking someone that's uh, any sciences and kind of putting them in biology. Are you even seeing the level of being able to match uh, distance learning wise because the pool will be greater with? Uh, more specific uh, subject matter experts uh, for substitute teaching? I think so. Um, you know, I think one thing that we've always done pretty well is to be able to to do that by having, by virtue of having just a bigger pool that gets notified about each particular job. Um, so I think that that's still the case, even in this distance learning world. Um, and a lot of districts, you know, just don't, they don't have the reach to have a substitute teacher, if you're a Northern California district, apply to their district, obviously, from Southern California. And so I think that that's been great. And we've seen that play out in that we're able to fill the vast, vast majority of these distance learning requests very successfully. Um, so I think that's been exciting. And I, but, you know, the flip side of it is that for a lot of these in-person requests, the schools are, um, fairly desperate. Um, and I sort of hate to use that word, but that that is how it feels, you know, is that in a lot of cases, they've maybe lost touch with their own substitute teacher pool um, over the last six, seven, eight, nine months. And so we're helping to kind of supplement that gap as well. Absolutely. And so what are some of the innovative approaches uh, that you've seen uh, districts taking, uh, maybe in regards to providing a work from home opportunities for those high risk teachers? 
Yeah, I mean, there was one um, school district in Southern California in particular that we've been talking to, and they they came to us and they just said, you know, when they look at their teacher workforce, that there were, I think the number was about a dozen teachers that wanted to continue to teach, but didn't feel comfortable yet going into the classroom because they were high risk. Um, and so that district came to us and just said, hey, can we get classified staff from you to be the in-person classroom management, be that in-person kind of adult to student connection for those students in the classroom, but have our full-time teacher that they normally would have and that already understands the curriculum and, uh, and wants to teach it a certain way, do that remotely. And I think we were super excited about that kind of opportunity too. And I think it it is indicative of how I'm hoping a lot of school districts will view um, COVID solutions as permanent solutions to be able to provide even, I mean, uh, my personal friends that are that are teachers, I think what I see is just like, that job just doesn't have a lot of flexibility. I mean, the example I think a lot of elementary school teachers might give is needing to just be able to not go to the bathroom for three, four hours at a time because they might not be able to get there um, and back. And so, you know, it just is like, an opportunity, I think, for all of us across the country to think about or rethink how we can provide flexibility to permanent teaching jobs and just make them more attractive to kind of the next generation of teachers, too. Absolutely. And are you even seeing um, an increase in, I guess, kind of back to the question around subject matter experts, where uh, maybe uh, someone on staff could be monitoring the uh, class, but then you have a substitute with a specialty, and again, science, for example, that's then teaching the class remote, that is, the class is there, and they just have someone kind of proctoring that day while the, the regular science teacher's out. Yeah, I don't I don't know that we've seen that, but I mean, obviously, that that's also a possibility. Um, and I think, again, I think as we enter, I think right now where districts' heads are at is you know, nobody really knows when you transition to full in-person learning, how many of those teachers are really going to show up. Um, and I think there's good reason, honestly, for maybe them to feel a little bit nervous or anxious about that. I don't want to dismiss those concerns that they have at all. But at the same time, I think it makes it a very uncertain environment from a human capital standpoint for these districts. And I think that's the conversation that we're having with districts as much as possible is how can we help you kind of relieve some of that anxiety that you have at the district level with that planning process um, and fill whatever gaps may come up. That's really interesting. Yeah, I could definitely see a lot of benefits post-pandemic for this. Um, what other silver linings uh, could, could we take from this? What else do you think will stick um, as we possibly get back to somewhat of a new normal, um, probably not this spring, but possibly this fall or even the following year? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, one interesting thing too is I think that early on and early in the spring, what we saw is, and, and this is still happening, that, you know, the highest risk kind of students, um, student populations have had the gap between them and more affluent student groups kind of increase. Um, at the same time, I'll say that like, what's really encouraging to me is, you know, we have a local school district um, 
where we are in East Palo Alto, Ravenswood, that has um, their normal after school provider providing these kind of in person pods uh, or small groups. And it's been really great to see them kind of like jump into action um, to get money for those uh, in person kind of like classified staff so that the teachers can kind of engage with those students that are via distance learning um, better and I think serve those students better. And I think that kind of thinking should hopefully continue. I mean, I think that those gaps existed before the pandemic, but they've certainly been exaggerated since then. And I think exaggerated and exacerbated since then. And I think hopefully what we'll see is that that attention that's paid to those gaps can continue um, going into the future too. Absolutely. And then we talk about that a lot on the podcast too. The, the goal shouldn't be to get back to normal in the fall uh, the way we operated in 2019 because there were a lot of uh, deficiencies in the system, especially working with um, you know diversity and different student populations that really needed a better experience. And, and I'm hopeful. Um, I was just talking with a guest that said, I'm not a half full glass person, but I'm hopeful that uh, a lot of these things we've learned, this uh, spotlight that's been put on uh, certain areas of our system are really, we're taking this chance to rethink, you know, everything to some degree so that we can build a better system uh, in 2021, 2022 and beyond. Um, and we're excited. I'm excited to see what Swing Education does to be a part of that because it sounds like you're doing some really innovative things um, in this area and continuing to evolve, I'm sure, Uh month to month, quarter to quarter as uh, things kind of develop with the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, even in terms of how districts are going to think about kind of hiring teachers to refill their workforce. I mean, when I think about kind of, you know, the other, some of the other major events from this summer, um, like the Black Lives Matter movement or the anti-racism movement and kind of the, um, focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, our substitute teacher pool at Swing Education is actually majority underrepresented minority teachers. And I think that, you know, there's an opportunity here to help um, them really launch their teaching careers, potentially through substitute teaching. Um, we have a teach program where we actually take candidates uh, through a lot of that certification process. Um, we put them into cohorts, so there's some kind of like added accountability for each other within those cohorts. Um, and, you know, earlier this year, we had at one point 3,000 kind of like teachers that were working for Swing in a week. And this spring, we also kind of created or had 300, over 300 teachers go through our TEACH program. And so, you know, it's as much as kind of 10%. Um, of the active workforce for swing education. And I think that that's, that's something that's also super exciting is the, that we can take this as an opportunity to sort of like relight that fire about teaching being a fulfilling, interesting career, hopefully one that is also kind of moving into the 21st century or feeling like it from a flexibility and um, niceness to workforce standpoint. Um, and I think that would be really exciting, too. Well, yeah, and I love that because uh, there are probably a lot of 
people out there that have always thought about teaching, and this may be a, a lower barrier to entry, a way to get involved and see if uh, it is something that is their calling. And then on the flip side, uh, even pre-technology, substitute teaching often was a gateway towards full-time employment. So I could really see this uh, opening that that uh, access to substitutes and to schools for substitute teachers to then lead to full-time employment and possibly even um, uh, folks moving, you know, if they do some distance learning and they fall in love with the district or the school or the uh, students, you know, they may even relocate. Um, is that a possibility that you might see? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, we have seen, um, I think, being in California, this is maybe a very California-centric example, um, but we had one substitute teacher that split a lot of his time between Southern California, LA, or Hollywood, maybe I should call it in this case, and the Bay Area. Um, and it's because he was a part-time actor. Um, and so he would do that. And then he would take kind of substitute teaching jobs all over the state um, and be particularly interested in the ones that were, you know, drama or enrichment. And I think that was a lot of fun to see. Um, we also had a... Um, a substitute teacher that worked for us in Washington, D.C. that emailed us and asked, basically saying she was going to be in Northern California for a couple of weeks and asked if she could just pick up some substitute teaching jobs while she was out here for a couple of weeks. And um, when we sort of like dig a little dig, dug a little bit into it, what I thought was really fun was that she was actually the parents of an NBA player um, and they were going to be in the playoffs against the Golden State Warriors here in the Bay Area. And so that's what she was actually here for, for a couple of weeks. Um, but it was just so awesome to be able to see somebody that was like so enthusiastic about just being a, a teacher um, that even while she was out here primarily to watch her son play in the NBA playoffs, um, she also still wanted to see if she could be active in the schools out here. I love that. It's just matching opportunities with uh, those seeking them, and it is opening doors that weren't wouldn't have been opened um, before this technology existed. So, I have to ask uh, at least one more question. In the in the older days, pre tech, uh, a teacher would uh, call in sick in the morning, and then a secretary would start calling down a, a rolodex trying to find a substitute. Uh, maybe five or 10 calls later, they get somebody that can come in and they've got to get ready and drive over and, you know, that type of thing. Um, and obviously there's, you know, pre-planned substitutes, maternity leave and, you know, vacation and things like that. But for the um, kind of real-time uh, needs, uh, is it safe to assume that this process is very quick each morning for a number of um, uh, kind of just-in-time uh, substitutes, especially in the, the virtual only? Yeah, I would definitely say that we provide a district with the best opportunity for them to fill that last minute position. And Frontline Education, actually one of the kind of primary software providers, um, along with PowerSchool for kind of um, substitute teacher logistics, um, puts out an annual report on this and they they list out kind of like fill rate averages within 24 hours, within 48 hours, within 72 hours, um, and, and I think even within 12 hours. And what we see is actually that our within 12 hours and within 24 hours is about 50% better than the national average that they publish. 
And I think that that's a combination of um, reaching out to as many people as possible. I think it's all, as quickly as possible through text message and mobile notifications. I think it's about having a larger, more regional substitute teacher workforce. And honestly, also we have other programs and incentives that we do where we know that it's also better for substitute teachers, say on a Monday, to be able to take a job on a Friday um, ahead of time, right? Like four days in advance, it smooths out their income and provides them with more confidence as well. Um, maybe if they have other part-time opportunities, it keeps them in the classroom as opposed to taking those other part-time opportunities. And we've had this Swing Heroes program that we have where we also know that on a Friday um, that you're gonna see kind of a spike in morning of requests um, that maybe on the teachers' parts is more planned than it seems. Um, but we see kind of like very good, strong data that says, hey, if we just tell a substitute teacher, take a job on this, this Friday, we will pay you regardless of whether there's a job, we can be pretty sure that there will be one. Um, so we can sort of use data science or, or this sort of like um, uh, looking at previous historical data to know and feel confident that we're not wasting our money, we're not wasting anyone's time, and that we can get that person matched to a last minute job that day, even though they'll have known that they have work since the previous, um, since earlier in the week. That's amazing. And so are there cases where uh, uh, a need arises and someone is filling that virtually within minutes or hours? Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely. And I mean, you know, we will send hundreds of text messages or mobile notifications within a few minutes. Um, we could actually send them faster, but we don't want to actually spam more people than we need to. Um, so we try and be smart about that, too. That's amazing. And and we talk a lot about mental health on our podcast as well and just the need for that at the student level, and, and that's increasing, but also at the teacher and the administrator level. Um, I would think those uh, schools and districts that partner with you would maybe have an advantage there too to, to let their teachers know um, that, hey, we've got you covered. If you need to take a mental health day, um, it's not going to be as much of a burden as maybe uh, they would think because of your technology. Have, have you seen those conversations happening? Yeah, and I think that there's a couple of ways that we help um, that, primarily through better fill rates. But we had these early conversations early in our company's um, founding where we talked to teachers and we would ask them how they sort of decide to take a, a planned day. And a few teachers basically told us that their, their family vacations um, or long weekends maybe actually were dependent on whether or not their favorite substitute teacher could come in. Uh, on that particular day, which which sounds kind of crazy, but also makes sense. Like those teachers really want their students to know, like to know that their students are being taken care of well that day too. Um, and what we found is that we were able to provide confidence in maybe a substitute teacher that they've never tried before by saying, hey, there are other teachers in your district that also really like this substitute teacher. So we we are pretty sure you will too. And that gave them a lot more confidence. Um, or maybe it was a neighboring district's experience. And so that was one way. And I think even just like providing them with that faster response um, also just can relieve those hours of, of stress or anxiety where you're waiting for that system to otherwise be, you know, doing phone calls. 
Yeah, and probably easier to plan those uh, days because you get the faster response. You're not kind of putting the request in and then waiting days or weeks to, exactly. to see if they can be filled. That's really amazing and really great insights into how dedicated our teachers really are, that they care that much about their students, that they would sacrifice their own vacation days to make sure that they get the the best substitute experiences. Really inspiring. Um, speaking of inspiration, we're coming towards the end of our time, uh, and we love to end uh, our episodes with uh, a story of success. Uh, it could be a teacher, a school, a district, um, something that your company's done in 2020 that can give us all a little bit of uh, inspiration going into 2021. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would use kind of our experience over the summer with when I think a lot of parents in July maybe realized that their schools were likely to be in person at the start of the school year. There was a lot of talk about pods um, and starting pods and things like that. And I, I think there was so much, um, there were actually a lot of news stories about how inequitable those pods could be. And I, I guess I, we saw something from such a different perspective, which was one, um, we saw this kind of like, gender perspective on it where I think we realized seeing that, look, 99% of the persons or peoples that were kind of contacting us were the mothers um, or working mothers in particular. And knowing that that impact on them and the schools being open has such a big, open or closed, has such a big impact on working moms. I think the feeling that we could try and jump in and help there was really inspiring. But I also think what was equally inspiring was how many of those parents came to us, understood their privilege and affluence, and were asking us how they could help um, underprivileged or at-risk students as well. And I think it's just something where it was just evidence that there is still so much kind of care for others in this in this world when everyone is also just trying to take care of themselves too. Um, And I think that that was really awesome to see. I love it. I couldn't think of a better way to wrap up this episode. That is truly inspiring um, on a number of levels. Um, Mike, this has been great. We're going to have to have you back on in 2021 to uh, get an update uh, as we move into the the spring and the summertime. Uh, Thank you again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And to my audience, thank you again for joining us for another episode. Uh, Please give us feedback, email, uh, social media. Let us know what you think, what topics you want to hear. Check out past episodes, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks again, and always keep learning. Keep learning.